Ricky, I think this is super interesting that we're doing uh, Blade Runner. And to me, this really is the trilogy of Harrison Ford going back to the well, where we had Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We had Han Solo in Force Awakens. And now we got Blade Runner 2049. But I cannot wait for the sequel to Air Force One. That's right. (laughs) Air Force Two. This time, it's personal. Colon, get off my plane. (laughs) We have to go back. everyone and welcome back to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast i'm ricky i'm grayson and today we are reviewing the 1982 sci-fi crime noir known as blade runner blade runner or bladder runner i don't know why i did that (laughs) you made a choice you made a strong choice it's great i made a choice i'm gonna stick with it i'm proud of it I um I, I made a tweet uh follow us uh on Twitter at Flashback Flicks where I said um this week we're reviewing Blade Runner which we recently learned has nothing to do with running with scissors and it was the first time I ever made that connection. Oh yeah, it's really dangerous. Maybe that's why they're called Blade Runners Ooh. because none of their mothers wanted them to do it. Ho oh. ho. Hey, headcanon right off the top. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we are reviewing this Blade Runner because there is a Blade Runner sequel, Blade Runner 2049, um, being released in the theaters, which takes place 13 years. Nope, not 13. Uh, 13 plus 17. Uh, 30 years after the events of uh, the Blade Runner events that take place in this original movie. So, um, in case you have not seen Blade Runner or you would like a refresher, um, Blade Runner is a sci-fi neo-noir movie based loosely on the adaptation of the novel by Philip K. Dix. Do androids dream of electric sheep? It's a good question. Right? <laughs> uh, and so it is set in the year 29 in... Uh, Los Angeles, when apparently that's when the drought ends, it's just always raining. It's always raining. (laughs) We could use it. Harrison Ford plays Rick Deckard, and he's the titular Blade Runner. And he's a detective who's really good at finding out which robot, which humans are robots, which is a thing. Uh, So there are all these androids basically who are like basically like 98 percent undistinguishable from humans and they're called replicants and they are created to do things that humans don't want to do like uh hard labor war warfare not warfare <laughs> hard labor warfare and sex work but as a failsafe to prevent um them from developing human feelings and becoming you know like Skynet-esque destroyer Terminators, they have a four-year lifespan. Um, And so the movie begins with a small group of replicants who have, like, killed a lot of humans and are trying to come back to Earth and talk to their creator about extending their life. And so it's up to Harrison Ford to get these enemies of the state. Sorry, I was blending too many movies together. 
Blade Runner, when it first came out, didn't really do that well. Uh, it had a budget of about $28 million, and box office, it got $33.8 million. Um, it didn't really do that well. Critics didn't really like it um, that much because it just was, from what I researched, kind of an underwhelming film. Um, but... Uh, visually, it was really, really interesting. And this is a kind of movie that we've talked about before uh, with The Truman Show, where uh, the genre, quote, uh, I don't know, I don't need to add quotes. Don't add quotes when you Well, you me. said it, so I would quote it, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, this is like a concept movie. You have a big premise on a small scale, and typically a very human scale. So in a world where, like, people can, like, create basically humans like to what degree do these robots not experience humanity so that's kind of like the broader theme of the movie but it wasn't until 1989 uh that the movie really grew its cult status so in 1989 eric discovered a 70 millimeter print of blade runner who's eric Oh, you know Eric from... Uh... Oh, Eric. Oh, Eric. <laughs> Eric found... Yeah, Eric. He's a film preservationalist. Um, and that's and like... you don't need to tell me about Eric. I know Eric. <laughs> um, and so what he did is he, is he found a 70 millimeter print of Blade Runner. Um, and what he did is that he got in touch with the Cineplex Odin Fairfax Theater in Los Angeles, he got permission from Warner Brothers to screen a print of the film uh, for a film festival in May of 1990. So up until the screening, no one knew that this print was like the work print version, meaning that this was before they added in a lot of the things from the original theatrical release. Um, and so everyone saw basically the director's cut of the movie and because it did so well like so many people received this version of the movie so well um warner brothers booked more screenings and advertised it as a director's cut of blade runner in like 15 different cities and so that's where it became more prominent and that's actually the version that i watched i watched the director's cut version of blade runner and so that's kind of where it became more of a cult classic. I mean, for like a couple of years, like no one really were praising this movie um, as what it was because in the original version, um, as some of you may know, uh, there was a lot of voiceover, which very was... film noir type voiceover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just like, uh, her face was as face like as it could be. Man. I did. That sounds like something Eric would say. <laughs> oh, classic Eric. Yeah, so, yeah, and all the voiceover was done by um, Harrison Ford. And, like, people, like, especially Die Hard fans, they kind of hate this version. Um, and no, really... Not fans of Die Hard, but <laughs> people who really like this movie. Yeah, Die Hard fans are like, oh, this is not Die Hard. I Ooh. thought this was Die Hard. <laughs> And this is something called bladder honor. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other major difference that's worth noting here too, and gives, uh, I think a lot of insight into the process of Ridley Scott and his ability to hold a story together is the key difference besides the voiceovers in that theatrical cut and director's cut 
uh, is not only the voiceover, uh, uh, but the uh, ending is the big one. So uh, the studios got so involved because, spoiler alert to those who haven't seen the movie, um, the ending is very ambiguous in the director's cut, intentionally so. And it, it basically tees up a question that we will explore a little bit later of, is Deckard a replicant? Um, and it's a question definitely worth exploring. The original version, though, the theatrical version, cuts out a lot of stuff to where it's just happier. The studio just wanted a happy ending to this futuristic film noir. And it felt false. Uh, it felt like a cheat, almost. So um, you talk about how it didn't really resonate with audiences in its initial release. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but being able to see all the pieces laid out in front and the story that Ridley Scott set out to tell, that is what people connected to, uh, which I think is really telling with uh, how you allow a director to actually uh, pursue that story. That's why whenever there's a director's cut of a movie, I will every time prefer that to the studio cut. Yeah, that, and it's really interesting, too, because um, they came out with not just as director's cut. In 2007, they released a, a final cut. And that's uh, version. the version I watched. <laughs> and uh, in that version, um, basically, uh, Ridley Scott personally oversaw a remaster of the movie, so a lot of the effects are touched up. Uh, they re-added some violence that had originally been removed from the U.S. release because there's also an international cut where it's just, like, way more violent. Um, and so there are several cuts of this movie, um, but the most famous ones are the director's cut uh, and the final cut. Uh, Although I think if you look on iTunes, you get the theatrical cut. Mm, yes, that's true. Yeah. So, you just and gotta know. Just gotta know what you're getting. It's like, uh, I'd like a soda, please. Okay, which soda would you like, sir? The director's soda? <laughs> and uh, the big difference, I don't know if, if we called this out, between the final cut and the director's cut, is that the final cut just has more of the special effects touched up. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, it's crisper and, like you said, a little more, little more violent. Which was a surprise to my eyes. Oh, speaking of eyes, um, oh, yeah. in one scene um, where um, I, I lost track of their name. So I'm going to say futuristic Bart Simpson is like trying to crush the creator's <laughs> eye, like face. Like, yeah. and then he like holds onto his eyes, and, like presses his eyes in like to kill the guy. And in the version I saw, they cut away from it. But um, I was looking yeah. at a compilation of the difference between director's cut and final cut and like there's all kinds you see like blood gush out of this guy's like a gusher i'm just like oh god i was not ready for this yeah, they did not cut away they did not they got that in one take <laughs> so that's some of the history of blade runner it went on to inspire so much dark futuristic future punk style of uh storytelling uh it really inspired uh shows like Battlestar Galactica and Ghost in the Shell the anime just like it became oh, a yeah. really great stylistic influence for telling a futuristic story about how people relate to humanity and robots and technology so Blade Runner was uh 
wildly influential on so many of uh, future films. So uh, it's in like the film hall of fame. I think it just it just got into like the top one hundred films. I think it's like at ninety eight. Nice. Which cut though? Um, it is the haircut version. <laughs> That's why I'm curious with the the new one coming out twenty forty nine. If there's going to be like this theatrical cut and then t- 10 years later we have another cut or if Ridley's cut was like, you know what? We're going to do this one time and we're going to do it right. Okay. I'm not going through this. I'm not yep. going to do five cuts of this movie again. It's just going to be already the DVD is going to be like the final cut. And then <laughs> you can go in. It's like, here's the theatrical version. And it's just like a trailer. <laughs> it's just a trailer. Just 13 voiceovers again. <laughs> Like, well, I thought we had already done this, but let's do it again. (laughs) Okay. So we talked a little bit about the ambiguous ending in the director's cut, which has largely been accepted as the ending of that story, uh, and where we assume that 2049 will pick up. Um, It's uh, It leaves a lot of questions. It's really interesting how they're going to be able to tell a full sequel to this. Um, and why it makes a ton of sense why Ryan Gosling walks up to Deckard and says, I have some questions for you. Because mm-hmm. we all do. Uh, I'm yeah. so excited for this movie. All right, so we've talked a lot about some history. We're going to hop into our reactions. I will say uh, that this was my first time actually watching uh, Blade Runner in any capacity, in any of the cuts. And I have to be honest, I was expecting... A completely different movie based off of what I've heard other people talk about hmm. uh, this movie. It took me a while. Like I, as soon as the credits started rolling, I was like, "Did I miss something? Like I feel like I missed something." And then in my research, I started understanding. Oh, I should have gone into this like um, like the movie uh, Gattaca. I think I was expecting it to be like a really big action movie even like though there's action in it it's not like an action movie it's a concept movie um and so like understanding that that kind of helped to reframe everything for me um because it it's a slow burn i was expect like i was like this movie's moving so slow yeah no it's it's very much uh the kind of movie that just explores if this is true about the world then what else is true about the world and that right. that's what makes it such a conceptual movie um, but yeah, no, I, I totally get how uh, it'd be super easy to uh, m- like not really know what you're in for, which I think a lot of audiences seeing 2049 may uh, may fall into the same boat. It's one of those movies where kind of like the the setting is a character in itself because mm. the shots that they uh, hang on are really just beautiful and they're there it's almost like they want you to get a feel of like the rhythm of like this whole like planet um uh, not planet but like it almost feels like it, we're, they're on like a different planet even though like we're in los angeles and it's interesting you mentioned the the setting and the city that first establishing shot of los angeles 2019 the angle at which they shot it is actually a pretty common view from the landmark of the Griffith Observatory, uh, which is where uh, like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone go in La La Land. Like looking over LA in that manner is a pretty familiar thing, especially to the people that live here. And so to see it, we're like, yeah, this is what you would see if you were standing at this spot uh, really like rings true. And 
I've since moved to LA from seeing it the first time. So there were more things about the LA background that I picked up on probably, but you're absolutely right. Like it's about um, the, the people that really didn't qualify to go to the off world, like better uh, place. And so you're kind of left with, with those that are like looked down upon in society and like, what does it look like when the city is only full of these people? Mm -hmm. Um, which is, it's just a concept I didn't really like connect with the first time that I saw it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, definitely a (laughs) packed full of social commentary. Oh yeah, definitely. Was there anything that you noticed this time around that you didn't notice before? Just knowing the ending, I was able to look for clues. So, like, the same way you rewatch a Shyamalan film, like, that's kind of the scrutiny I was putting on all of the Easter eggs along the way to uh, determine whether or not Deckard was actually a replicant. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I did not catch that the first time I watched it, like, which was this time. Uh, when I watched it, I was like, oh, well, that's a weird thing. It's just like he left a little unicorn. I'm like, oh, so he he was there or did he he didn't kill the girl? I thought he was going to kill the I don't know. This movie's too smart for me. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, no, I can I can now see that that all makes sense. I think that this movie is one of those ones that inherently, especially if you are watching it for the first time, is already worth a rewatch because they're like, oh, I get that. Let me go back and see this. Yeah. Yeah, after I see 2049, I'm probably going to rewatch the first Blade Runner again. Yeah. It's like two weeks from now. The 2049 cut where it's all chronological and eight hours long because <laughs> it's each version of the movie. So, Grayson. Yes, Ricky. You're in a desert walking along in the sand when all of a sudden you look down and you see a tortoise tortoise what's a tortoise figure it out you reach down and flip the tortoise over on his back the tortoise lays on its back its belly is in this hot sun beating its legs trying to turn itself over but it can't mm. now not without your help uh, but you're not helping uh, well why don't i just shoot you with my head cannon <laughs> Headcanon is part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, so, Grayson, since you have seen this movie um, and you've had some more experience with the material, yeah. I will let you go first with your headcanon. All right. So, like we said, this is a robot movie, but it's more about human behavior. And that reminded me of two other pieces of uh, pop culture media that follow the same pattern and actually fit into the timeline of Blade Runner. So I'm going to do a three-part all-in-the-same-universe headcanon um, based on the opening uh, exposition crawl from Blade Runner and just clues that we get throughout the whole movie. So we got Blade Runner, the year's 2019 in Los Angeles. We know that there was a robotic uprising at an off-world colony. Or that, we'll just say, robots were malfunctioning in a way that was possibly violent towards humans. Hmm. So, spoiler alert to anyone who has not watched at least the first episode of Westworld. But, 
this takes place in the same world as Westworld, mm -hmm. except that the off-world colony is actually Westworld. So in that show, we never actually see where the park is located, um, like in relation to the Earth. My headcanon is that the Westworld park is on the moon. That is close enough to be accessible. Uh, we know that only the rich can get there, which uh, aligns with uh, uh, the rich and healthy, I should say, which aligns with um, the uh, kind of prerequisites that are set in Blade Runner as well. Um, and so it's very much this off-world uh, kind of place. I won't elaborate too much on what off-world could mean in Westworld terms, um, but there is more there that we could dig into, but I don't want to be too... Uh, spoilery. Um, I also, especially when you think about the different uses that they were used for, for um, uh, pleasure purposes, especially, that's a big like Westworld theme. Um, and the idea that uh, the city has become so industrialized that people would want to go to a place that is simpler. Um, okay. So that's, that's one part that they go to the moon, uh, take these replicants uh, basically program them as hosts for uh, the Westworld park. Replicants can also be used for um, more mechanical or mission-based tasks, which is very much in line with the androids that you see in the Alien series. Um, and if you saw the recent Alien Covenant, you see the um, basically the birth of David, the Michael Fassbender character, so as the very first scene in the movie. And so um, those of you who are familiar with the Alien series, the, the androids sometimes help, sometimes they work against. Spoiler alert for uh, like Prometheus and Covenant, like the, more of the reboot. Uh, they typically work against. Um, they seem like they're helping, but they, they're actually kind of like antagonists in a lot of ways, which is consistent with that uh, that crawl at the beginning of Blade Runner that like, well, they turned, <laughs> they were supposed to help, but they turned. You would also have to have the earlier versions of those replicants be the ones that are going on these longer space missions because these missions last longer than four years. They last, I think, um, from the time that they come out of stasis and covenant, there's like seven years, things like that, that they still have to go, but the androids are awake the whole time. Um, my theory is that David from Alien Covenant was the very first replicant. And mm. if you look at the androids from Covenant, you look at the um, the hosts from Westworld, and you look at the replicants from Blade Runner, there is an element of uh, artificial memory that is touched on that is ultimately what makes them feel so human. Um, artificial memory, but then the growing awareness that they are greater than their creators. Mm. Um, and so that's such a common theme between those things that uh, I, I firmly believe that you could set these all in the same universe and have it make total sense. Oh, totally. I actually think I read something um, that actually tied the two together. Uh, there's a deleted scene where um, Guy Pierce's character says that his mentor was um, future robot Bart Simpson guy. Oh, the guy that got his eyes crushed? Yes, him, that guy. Mm. 
not the future Bart Simpson guy, but the future Bart Simpson who killed his creator guy. Oh, that guy. Yeah. So uh, that headcanon holds up. Sweet. I love that. I too decided to uh, tie this movie to another franchise. Um, so it's very futuristic, right? It's a future that is actually close to ours. Um, it takes place in 2019. Um, and a lot of the technological advances are different than ours. And I couldn't help but imagine um, one of the most iconic uh, futures that is supposed to be ours but doesn't quite land up. Which brings me to my headcanon tying this to Back to the Future. Oh, four years later. So my headcanon is that this is Biff's timeline if Marty never went back and changed it. So this would be 1985A um, that was created after Biff went back and gave himself the sports almanac in 1955. And so when they go back to 1985, everything's different. Um, Biff legalized gambling um, and he married Lorraine. He kind of offsets the future i think kind of in like a somewhat positive way i mean it's not positive way but just like in a different way so that our future is still advanced but it's still very much our own because a lot of the technology it's uh it's retro futuristic so the computer that they use is like a 1984 computer so it would enhance be... enhance <laughs> oh my gosh that whole thing i'm just like I know, like what what kind of pixels was that photo? Like how? No. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but it's like it's this weird retro future because that 1985 Biff, even though he's like he's technologically advanced and he knows a lot of things in the future, but only up to 2015, and so he starts future things. Uh, earlier, basically. Um, not only does he have the almanac, but I'm sure that, you know, Biff would tell himself other technological things, like maybe he would invent the iPhone earlier, or do other things, or like find these right people to like start advancement earlier, but then he kind of plateaus because he doesn't know anything else past that future point. And so that's why technology is like very futuristic, but also like somewhat held back i like that all right now so i'm going to the part of the show where we talk about replicants and remakes <laughs> if this movie were to be remade today um who would you cast and what would the storyline be i think that if they were to redo it today um like not like do a sequel but like to have like blade runner one it would probably be ryan reynolds as like the main Blade Runner. Wow, I was thinking the sim- similar thing. Actually, same thing. I don't know why I nope. said similar. Same. <laughs> I mean, it is similar. <laughs> yeah, it is similar in that it is the same. I think that that would be interesting. Yeah. I also think that it would probably... I would really... The thing that I wanted, just because I was expecting it to be more of an action movie, is a little bit more history on the replicants. Like, just showing more of the replicants in society before they turned um but i also think i mean now i'm saying it out loud i also think that that was intentional because they wanted us to see 
the characters and the replicants through the eyes of Harrison Ford's character. Hmm. Because we, we saw, he's like, oh, well, they're just, you know, they're just robots, so we have to just destroy them because that's our job. And then we start to see their humanity the same pace that he does. Uh, so maybe not that. Who knows? So uh, for Rick Deckard, I would cast, since you took Ryan Reynolds, I'd cast Mark Ruffalo. Ooh. I think Ruffalo, Ruffalo could get the job done. Um, huh. But then for Rachel, 100% Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yeah. 100 percent yeah i'm not convinced she's not a replicant she very well could be that's anybody's guess (laughs) and then for edward james almost i would like to see the name of the guy that i just thought of but know off the top of my head and don't have to look up because (laughs) his name is giancarlo esposito uh, better known as Gus from Breaking Bad. Ooh. Yeah. He was also on a few episodes of Community. Oh, yeah. I yeah. now really know who he is. <laughs> and I think for the main bad guy, um, for Bart Simpson replicant, uh, Roy, to have uh, Channing Tatum play him and, like, really make him dark and, like, let him just explore that dark, like, bloody toothed monologue at the end like yeah like pull it out of mike xxl kind of dark like that really troubled yeah okay i didn't see it i didn't is that not what yeah just just like that maybe (laughs) could be that i haven't seen it either i just assume Mm. that that's what yeah, no, it's the, it's the third Magic Mike movie called Dark Magic, <laughs> where he's just really brooding the whole time. And then for the, the police captain guy, um, uh, Bryant is his name. That kind of gives all the exposition and like tells Deckard, like, you're little people now. <laughs> you got to work for us. Um, I 100% would cast Joel McKinnon Miller uh, or Scully from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Because I legitimately had to think, is this him? Like, does <laughs> did he look like this in 82? Maybe it was makeup, but it is not him. Instead, uh, Bryant is, is played by M. Emmett Walsh, uh, who is also in uh, Wild Wild West. Fun enough. Oh, fun. Who's, yeah. Oh, what's he, oh my gosh, you're right. He was the the train conductor. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so he's just pulling strings left and right, watching robotic people walk around, whether it's on two legs or eight legs. Wild Wild West World. Wow, that's good. That's really good. Nailed it. Now, before we go into our final segment, I uh, just want to have a heart to heart with you, Grayson. Sure. I uh, just want to talk candidly as we can mm-hmm. do you think that Deckard is a replicant short answer is yes alright so that's the show everyone <laughs> good night everybody what about you Ricky what do you think I it's, it's so the reason why and I it, I didn't get that the first time I watched it but after you know reading online the the biggest case is the unicorn right um, which so, is even 
more uh, telling with there being a director's cut. Right. So Deckard dreams about a unicorn and then his partner, not partner, like Gaff. Gaff leaves like a little like unicorn origami figure in Mm. his apartment and he sees it. He's like, oh, weird, because replicants memories can be altered uh, or like implanted right basically and so they they can believe that these are their memories and this is their life so, just like rachel's memories were actually from the niece of the the person she was with so right yeah and so be only because of that i think my answer is mayhaps uh, but i also think that there are enough inconsistencies with that um largely due to Oh, but he could have been an early replicant because of the lifespan thing. So he just could have been not one of the ones that had the expiration thing. Oh, dang. Never mind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, I, yeah, I, that's the big thing. That's. Oh, yeah, you're right. That completely changes it because it's the later models that were um, not that. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, baby, he's a replicant. So the whole narrative of him not being... A police officer anymore can take two angles one that's just true like they decommissioned him whenever replicants went violent and they didn't want him on the streets and they didn't want him like actively pursuing criminals anymore uh and but two is that could just be part of his narrative that makes him tick Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of that in Westworld where they have like a backstory that they believe that never actually happened, um, but it motivates their character to be better than their human counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm inclined to believe the second one. I think that there's just this constant loop of he is kind of on his own on the street whenever there isn't a case to solve, but whenever there is, Gaff goes and gets him and then they debrief with Bryant at the station. And that's just the loop that they have. If you look at Bryant, whenever he's talking about these replicants, he's giving the side eye to Deckard in a very real way. Uh, And he almost seems nervous around him. So that was one thing that I was looking for at this time. The other thing was anything unicorn related, like you said, and um, I didn't I didn't see this online yet, but um, I'm, I'm sure it's there somewhere. The the unicorn appears in the the dream. It appears in the the origami figure, which is established that Gaff is the one that does origami. Gaff also says, I read your file. So he knows what that dream of the uh, unicorn would be uh, to signal it to uh, Deckard in the first place. But the thing I, I was able to find that was unicorn related was in the apartment of the toy maker, there is a silhouette of one of the toys to the right of the screen, just right of the frame uh, that is the silhouette of a unicorn. So mm. I believe that Deckard was created by the toy maker way, way back before they put age caps on them. Um, he was inspired by the toys for the memory that he implanted into the actual replicant of Deckard. And basically, whenever Deckard comes to the toy maker's shop, uh, he is coming home. Uh, it's kind of bringing his story full circle. 
Um, similar to how, like in Memento, we we saw you had Joe Pantoliano guiding Guy Pierce and be like, "All right, now you've concluded this loop that we keep going on." I think Gath, even though he shows resistance towards him because he partially doesn't trust him as a replicant, he just wants him to have some resolution because uh, in his mind he feels like he's earned it. Um, that makes Gaff make so much more sense to me as a character because otherwise he has a very ambiguous purpose and he's just yeah. hanging around for no reason. Yeah, why are but you if, here, Gaff? If he's there to actually keep tabs on Deckard the Replicant, though, then then I get that. Um, it also, removing the, the age gap, uh, that... Uh, or removing the age cap that allows Deckard to have this 2049 storyline and become the champion of these replicants, like the reluctant champion, I should say, where he knows more about them than they know about themselves, but he's the one that could actually bring change. Yeah, that's great. And then that, that really makes the rain monologue on, on the roof make more sense when he was saying, you're supposed to be balanced in a force, not destroy it. <laughs> yeah, because Roy could have killed Deckard mm-hmm. uh, like very easily. It wasn't that he got bested necessarily or anything like that. I, I think there was an understanding there at a certain point. I think they can recognize it in each other, except that, but it's very much like a sixth sense thing where uh, like Bruce Willis can recognize the, the, uh, that, Haley Joel Osment is experiencing death around him, but he can't see it in himself. Mm. Uh, spoiler to anyone who, uh, you know, doesn't know the ending of Sixth Sense. Oh, great. Did you spoil the Sixth Sense oh. on this Blade Runner review? How dare you? I came here for Blade Runner spoilers, not <laughs> Sixth Sense spoilers, or Westworld spoilers, or Alien Covenant spoilers. I said good day. <laughs> All right, now we're going to go into our final segment, our final cut segment. Um, oh. This is the definitive segment of this episode. It's like the director's cut segment, but just polished up a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And more violent. <laughs> And without the voiceovers. Bye. (laughs) Silence. Um, Where we give you guys our reasons to recommend. Uh, So, Grayson, why would you recommend Blade Runner? I would recommend Blade Runner because it really is uh, a solid film noir. So, if you like film noir genres, totally check out Blade Runner. Also, if you like sci-fi genre, check out Blade Runner. There's just so much for people who like different uh, styles of stories. Um, and I, I have to recommend the director's cut, um, mainly because it allows the scenes to breathe that, and that's what I really appreciate. I am somewhat nervous at the pacing of what this new movie is going to be because Blade Runner was made in a time where, uh, audiences, I be- I believe had more patience, um, mm-hmm. for there being, um, gaps in dialogue and just watching somebody look at a picture or slowly fall asleep. But those moments are really important to emphasize the humanity of Deckard and his humanity is just as important as his replicant side. So I would recommend it because it 
yeah, there's a pace to it that you just don't get with movies that are made these days. And I don't want to sound cliche saying they don't make movies like they used to, <laughs> but Blade Runner is special. Um, it, it is very special. And the fact that they have recut it so many times, I think is a testament that a lot of people felt that it was worth recutting that many times. It was worth putting the effort in to get this story right. Um, so if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and abandon all pre uh, conceptions and forget everything that we just said because we just spoiled the movie. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, totally. I would recommend this movie because it is such a, a pivotal uh, influence of sci-fi movies and the future, uh, especially when it comes to the atmosphere. Like, a, a lot of people will think, oh, future, it's just lasers and stuff. Uh, I don't want to uh, kind of rag on another movie, but, like, the uh, that movie that came out recently with um, the Ender's Game kid. Oh, lasers and stuff? <laughs> the movie Lasers and stuff. Valerian... Valerian, thank you, it's Valerian. So, um, the movie Valerian, um, I know that that movie uh, focused a lot on, like, look at all this detail and all this future-y stuff. Um, I think that Blade Runner had a great balance of letting the atmosphere speak for itself Mm. without having anything explicitly to, like, show as much as it was to just demonstrate um, the setting that everyone was in. It's really cool in that sense, um, and it's great in, um, in showing you just like a slower-paced story. Because I, I really does... I really, I, I think my patience was tested because I kept on looking for like how far into this movie are we. <laughs> um, but I think that that I think that it shows you a great example of like what kind of story can be told when you just kind of take your time to just breathe it all in. Absolutely. And also, uh, if you want to question your humanity, if you just like super curious as if you're like a replicant or not, just watch this movie. Are all my memories real? (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Just just question your whole life. Blade Runner. (laughs) Yeah, this movie and Truman Show is a pretty brutal double feature (laughs) to just make you as paranoid as possible. If you want to ask yourself, is my life a lie? Couldn't recommend this more. (laughs) All right, that is our review of Blade Runner. In a variety of different cuts. Uh, Let us know what you remember about Blade Runner or what your favorite thing about Blade Runner is on Twitter and Instagram. In both places, we are at Flashback Flicks. And please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. It really helps us out. We've been getting a lot of really great and lovely, kind reviews from you all. So thank you. Please continue it. Give us on a scale of one to five replicants. Or one to five electric sheep in honor of the source material by Philip K. Dick. Yeah. So one sheep, you fell asleep immediately listening to this podcast. Or five, it took you a while to count some sheep before you ultimately fell asleep to this podcast. You made it to five. (laughs) And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind. And rewind.